The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Uh, if you have uh, been with us uh, this year, we are in a year-long series called A.D., the Year of Our Lord. We've been spending a whole year just talking about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, not just learning information about Him. And this, this section that we've been in for the past few weeks has been called Definition. We're saying, uh, let's lean into defining, helping to define what is the relationship that we are to have with Jesus. So there's a reason that people have the define the relationship talk in terms of human relationships. We have the DTR talk. The reason people want to launch into that, they want to know the status. They want to know, are we committed to one another? Where are we as a couple? Let's uh, make sure we're on the same page in terms of this relationship. And so what, we, what we're doing in this section is just trying to think through, are, is Jesus are we and Jesus on the same page? Do we understand? Are we committed in this relationship? Now, in that classic uh, hymn that John led us through, uh, uh, it begins, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Now, the first, uh, uh, you know, God's half of that, we're very comfortable with. In fact, if you've been a believer for a while, you embrace the beauty of the blessed assurance, and it's referred to at times as the assurance of salvation. We want to know that God is faithful and He will uphold His end of the deal, that when we pass on from this life, there is an eternity. We will spend an eternity with a loving, beautiful, amazing God. We want to know that God's going to uphold His end of the deal. But what about our end of the deal? Are we committed in this relationship? Are we faithful in this relationship to say, Jesus is mine? That's what we're going after, and I invite you to uh, bow your heads with me as we pray. Father, I know that uh, we're in many different places here in this room in terms of relationship uh, with Jesus, and uh, so God, I I just ask that you would come in a beautiful and supernatural way and just... uh, Uh, go after any unclarity that may be here in this room? Would you give me words that would represent your character and your heart so that we can know more about what it means to say, Jesus is mine. Would you draw us into that in a powerful way, we pray in your son's name. Amen. We have a lot of decisions that we make in life. You've made decisions this morning. There are decisions all over the place. And the easy decisions that we make are the ones where we're not concerned about what we will miss out on. So if there's a decision for me as to whether or not I'm going to eat coconut cream pie, that's an easy decision for me because I hate coconut cream pie. Absolutely, that's why my wife often orders coconut cream pie at restaurants because I'm not gonna touch it. It's an easy decision for me. If, however, it was pretty much any other dessert, if it was strawberry rhubarb pie with ice cream, then I would be good if I only had two pieces. Decisions are easy when we're not concerned about what we're missing out on. Decisions are also easy if we're not concerned about what we're missing out on because we can just choose that later. We can pick this now and we can choose something else later. Choosing a dessert at a buffet is way easier than just choosing one off the list, right? Decisions get hard when we make them and the process of doing so removes other options for us. 
That's where the stress comes in. That's why decisions are stressful is because if we go in this path, we might be totally excited about this path, but the reality is it has impact on other paths that we might be interested in. And the older we get, the bigger our decisions get, the more doors that we would like to go down get closed and we no longer have access to those. So we stand at the door and we say, I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to go through this door. I'm going to make this decision. When we get in and we go, ah, oh, it's not what I thought it was. Oh, we turn around and the door's locked. Click, 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 and the door's locked behind us. This is what happens on our wedding day. <laughs> That's what happens. We stand before the minister who says, will you promise to be faithful and forsaking all others? Be faithful to her, be faithful to him, so long as you both shall live. Ah, click, 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 click. That's why some of us don't want to get married. If you are with someone and that's why you're not getting married, if you've been with that person for a long time, maybe it's time for you to move on. Ow. Because a person who is not interested in going through that door and closing other doors is not interested in paying the cost that, it, that you have to pay in order to go through that door and be committed in a marriage relationship. Relationships always cost us something. They always cost us something. There are days where I would love to sit and watch a guy movie with really loud surround sound, and I'd like to watch one and then another one with a break for Doritos in between them, and that's what I want to do with my day. There are days where that's what I want to do more times than what the the commitment in my family allows me to do. There are days where I'd like to play, weeks where I'd like to play hockey five times a week. I would love to. But my family situation means I, I can't do that. There's a cost to the relationships that we have. They say in our culture now that a child uh, raised between birth and 18 years costs around $500,000. $500,000 per child. Just think of how many children you have? I have three. You know what kind of car I could drive for $1.5 million? <laughs> Relationships cost us something. Jesus is faithful in his relationship to us. He's faithful, but it costs him something. If we, in turn, if we say Jesus is mine, what has that cost you? If anything, what has that cost you? Jesus is faithful. That is a theme that is woven throughout Scripture from the very beginning and many times throughout. It says, I will be there. I will be there. I will never leave you or forsake you. It, it sounds very much like the vows that we say at a, at a wedding. Jesus is faithful and it cost him because of his commitment to us. It cost him his life. And so then what has you saying Jesus in my, is mine, what has that cost you? Has it cost you anything? Way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, there's the Ten Commandments. Many of us are familiar with that. But you're probably less familiar with the first two commandments than you are with some of the other commandments. The Ten Commandments begin, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment is very much like it. You are not to make an idol for yourself. And in that second commandment, God says, I am a jealous God. 
So he's saying, I will be faithful to you. It's woven woven throughout Scripture. And I ask for you to be faithful to me. So that when we say, Jesus is mine, it's going to cost us something. There are doors that are going to be closed because we've gone through the path of saying, I follow Jesus. Some doors are going to be closed. Some little G gods we're going to have to let go of if we say, Jesus is mine. I want to look at Luke chapter 14 this morning. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke. The New Testament begins Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the third book in the New Testament. I'm in chapter 14, beginning in verse 25, I believe. Yes, Luke 14, verse 25. Jesus is talking very clearly in this chapter about the cost of following him. Beginning in verse 25, he says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, first of all, this would have made no sense to the disciples at this time. Carry your cross. Jesus hadn't died yet. And then the verse before that, hate your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Tim Goodyear is our family pastor here. He and I have talked. We're going to make this the mantra for our family ministry now, this verse here. We're going we're to write it above home team there. <sighs> this is one of those verses you're not supposed to read in church. You're just supposed to skip over this and, and pretend it's not there. What we see in, in, these, in these verses, Jesus, there's a crowd gathering around him. Jesus is not afraid to thin out the crowd. He is not walking around begging people to follow him. He's saying with great clarity, there is a cost. There is a cost. And it may, for some of you, cost some of your relationships. It may, at times, cost some of your relationships who have become little g-gods in your life. And Jesus says, that's not the way this is going to work. Jesus is not saying hate your family. He's not saying hate your family. It's too consistent throughout Jewish tradition in Jewish law that the family is the core, uh, the value for the family is the core of civilization. That's just too central to the whole story. And Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law. He's not breaking what uh, has, had been developed for centuries in terms of the Jewish family. What he's saying is, if it ever comes down to a choice between any relationship in your life and Jesus, do we have enough power in Jesus' mind to choose Jesus even in those situations? This may make no sense to us, choosing between a person and Jesus. This may just be really far from us, but it wouldn't have been too far for them. I mean, these Jewish families... If they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they would have not wanted their children to go off and follow this Jesus character. So there would have been resistance there. No, that's not not God. We worship and serve the God of Abraham and Isaac and and Jacob. And so uh, that may make no sense to us, but it made sense to them. It may make no sense to us, but it makes sense to other people in other cultures in other parts of the world people who are ostracized 
for their faith when they make the decision to say, Jesus is mine. They're ostracized in their culture, in their family. So let me bring it back to the marriage metaphor. If you are married, it is very unwise to reconnect with old boyfriends and old girlfriends on Facebook and to keep those doors open. When you pass through the wedding door, those doors of previous boyfriends and girlfriends, oh, we're just friends, we're just reconnecting, we're just celebrating times uh, uh, gone by, those doors are closed. Those doors are closed. There's a cost to that relationship. When I said to Tammy 15 years ago, you are mine, what that means is that uh, the, the girlfriends from my past, and let me just tell you, there's lots of them. There's, I mean, there are ones and ones of them. And, and so part of, that, part of that process is to say, is to say uh, uh, Tammy, you will have no other girls before you. You will have no, there is no competition for you. That's just, that's just not part of the gig. It's, it's not part of the game. Uh, uh, we're not to go on Facebook with those old relationships and like them and like what they say and check this out and check out their old pictures and like, 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 like. Jesus would say here in this chapter here, if there's a button that says hate, click that button. Stay as far away as possible. As far away as possible. There is a cost in making hard decisions in our life. There is a cost to saying Jesus is mine. Have we paid any cost? Have we paid any price? Let me continue. Verse uh, 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? If he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. I want to show you a picture here of a hotel beautiful hotel and condo that was intended to go up in Chandler in recent years. This is what that hotel looks like right now. Some of you were already uh, laughing because you know this is the eyesore that is by Chandler Mall on the northwest corner of the 101 and the 202. This is what it has looked like for many years and it has happened exactly the way Jesus said 2,000 years ago. That the, uh, let's see, let me reread this section. Everyone who sees it will ridicule him. The, the building stopped in April of 2006. They ran out of money and they actually got to the point where they couldn't even find the owner. Couldn't even find the guy who was financing the thing and the whole thing is caught in legal battles and all that uh, still right now. And the, the rumor was, the, 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 the information on it uh, was that he, he became homeless. He just completely checked out. He just kind of checked out of life. We need to pay, we need to, to, um, to be willing to pay the cost before we start something. Be willing to pay the cost before we start something. We struggle with this in our culture. This is the problem. I mean, forgive me for getting economical here, but this is the problem in terms of the American economy. We want it now and we'll pay for it later. Problem is, we get, we get bored with the TV or the car or the, 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 the stereo or the fridge that we are still paying for. We get bored with it before we've even paid the thing off. 
So then we want to get a new one, and then it all snowballs because now we're paying for two or three uh, cars as they roll over. Or the thing breaks before we've even paid the thing off. Heaven forbid we should save money, and then when we get the money, then we buy the thing, and we have it paid off, and we get to enjoy it fully with the thing paid off. Heaven forbid we should do that. We want it now. We want the benefit. We want the pleasure now. Because our creditors, at least in the past, would allow us to do so. We want it now. And we'll think about or talk about paying later. Now that's so often the way we tackle economics, and I think that flows into our spiritual experience sometimes. That we want the benefits of who Jesus is, and we want it now. Jesus can actually have a positive impact on my marriage. I value my marriage. Jesus can help me in my marriage. Great. I want it now. Jesus can uh, come and give me purpose in life. I've been successful. I'm 40 years old now, and, uh, but I've never really felt like I was a part of something bigger than myself. I've never really felt like I had purpose. Jesus can give that to me. Great. Jesus can give me assurance that when I die, I will be with God for eternity. Great, I'm in. I want it now. But the church that is the body of Christ, that is the ambassador of the message of Jesus Christ, is wrong if the message is all safe, is all good news. Yes, it is good news. It is the gospel. All those things are true. Jesus can have access to all those areas of our lives. But we are wrong if we never address the fact that there's a cost. There is a cost. That's what we're trying to grab with the, with the idea that it's a safe place to visit here at Mountain Park. It's a dangerous place to stay. When we say, Jesus is mine, and we're serious about it, that's a dangerous decision. It will cost us something. If you're faith hasn't had an impact on your finances, in other words, it has cost you nothing, then Jesus is not yours. There has to be some area in our lives, financially, where we're saying, I'd like to do this, but because of my commitment to Christ, I can't do that, I'm gonna do this over here. God's gonna bless me in this way instead of in this way, which, which is an area that I could. If this is all that I wanted, then I could. But because of my faith in, in Christ, he is inviting me into something different. It's gonna cost us something. If we say, Jesus is mine, what has that cost you? And Jesus says, it, it, it may cost you in terms of your relationships, in terms of some of the people you interact with. It may cost you in terms of your finances. And then in this last section, he's saying it may cost you in terms of power. Let me continue to read verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. A foolish king blazes into every battle assuming they're going to be victorious. A foolish king just says, yeah, it doesn't matter how many they are, how many we are, how many of ours are injured, how many weapons we have. I'm just going in and I'm just going to go for it. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going to go tackle it. I'm going to go take care of it. 
because I know I'm powerful. I know I'm going to win. Now, very few of us in here are kings over thousands of soldiers, but we enter into arguments all the time with the assumption that we're more powerful, with the assumption that we will win. Some, some of us, I imagine here in this room, have been involved with some battle for many years. Maybe it's been with a family member. Maybe it's been in the court system. And you've been in this battle for so long and it has consumed so many years of your life because you're not willing to just let it go, to let it go. Now, there are times where we need to enter into amazingly difficult battles for custody for our kids and and maybe there's a time where you do get caught up in some court situation. But an, an, an essential question, if you're involved with something like that, Am I doing this because Jesus is mine and I want to honor him and I want to make him proud of me? Or are you a prideful king who just can't let it go, who has to win? Just because we are followers of the king of all kings, as we talked about two weeks ago, just because we come to the point of saying Jesus is Lord, It doesn't mean we are going to win every earthly battle. In fact, there are times where it's going to be more like what Jesus says here. We're going to be outnumbered. In this story, the king was outnumbered two to one. And there are situations in our journeys where we are outnumbered. If you want to remain faithful in your marriage, the odds are becoming increasingly against you being able to do that. In 2011, we switched over. Uh, The United States has always, for the the history of the United States, it has always been a majority of people who have been in a traditional home. And that number was drawing closer and closer and closer to the 50% zone. And in 2011, it crossed over, crossed over the 50% zone, where now people growing up in a traditional home are a minority in the United States. The odds are becoming increasingly against what God had intended for the family unit. For those of you who have uh, kids or for those of you uh, young men and women who are uh, just starting college, that the statistics for Christians who enter college are getting increasingly against you. Right now it's understood that one in four Christians who enter college will finish college with a faith that remains. One in four. The odds are against us. The world is becoming increasingly anti-Christian. Our culture is becoming increasingly anti-Christian. I want to show you a, a cartoon from two weeks ago. Two weeks ago on a Sunday, Doonesbury. This is a high school teacher So all the evidence uh, massively supports a theory of evolution that knits together everything we know about biology. However, as high school science students in the state of Louisiana, you are entitled to learn an alternative theory supported by no scientific evidence whatsoever. It goes like this. 5,700 years ago, a male deity created the heavens and earth and all life on it in six days. Unfortunately, he didn't like his own handiwork, so God created genocide and drowned everyone on earth except the family of Noah, a 600-year-old man who was charged with saving animals. Mr. Miller, yes, 
Please stop. I'd like to get into a good college. Almost done. So Noah took two of everything, including microbes, but forgot the dinosaurs, dot, 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 dot. Now, I've heard this sentiment multiple times in conversations. I've seen it in movies. I've seen it in, in uh, TV shows, etc. But for some reason, this cartoon just got under my skin. This just bothered me. How could we, in, in a country that is founded on biblical principles, how could we ridicule How could it be cool and hip and intelligent to ridicule the Christian story? How did we get there? It's amazing. And the flip side is not true. I mean, I see my kids are in a public school and the way that the Christian story is handled around Christmas is much more tense and, and guarded than other faith stories. And so if this cartoon had that kind of a negative tone about Islam and the story of Muhammad or, or the story of Buddhism, it would, be much, it would receive much more negative feedback. I mean, it would be on the front, uh, the number one lead article on yahoo.com saying, oh, what kind of intolerance is, is this and negativity and all that. But we say it about Christianity, and it's cool, it's intellectual, it's smart, it's open-minded. What's going on? We're becoming more and more outnumbered. There's a cost at times. You may lose the respect of some of the people you work with, some of the people you do life with, when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus is mine. You may miss a promotion because you are not willing to do life in ways that others are doing it that will allow them to advance. It may cost you some power, some earthly power in your life. One of the main things that non-believers struggle with with regard to Christianity is the exclusivity of Christianity. How could Christians be so arrogant to think that they're right and others are wrong? How could God be so controlling that he has set this whole thing up and even though there are multiple faiths in this world, that God is so controlling saying, no, this is the only one that I'm going to accept? That's the exclusivity struggle. But what if we're looking at the issue of exclusivity wrong? What if we need to flip the whole thing upside down? Instead of looking at it as as a theological issue, who's right, who's wrong, what if we just look at it as, as a relational issue? Because we don't struggle with exclusivity when it comes to marriage. We don't we don't look at somebody who's married and say, wow, this person is so arrogant arrogant because she thinks he is, is the only one that she's going to be with for the rest of her life. Wow, she's so arrogant. We don't think he's, arrog- uh, uh, he's controlling because he assumes that uh, from the wedding day on that she will be faithful to only him for the rest of their lives. We don't think that that's, there's anything wrong with that exclusivity. What if God is a jealous God and wants us to have no other gods before him simply because he is madly in love with you? It's not a theological issue. It's a relational issue. What if he wants to have an exclusive relationship with you so that you would say, Jesus is mine? 
In verse 33, after Jesus had talked about it may cost you something in terms of people, it may cost you something in terms of your finances, it may cost you something in terms of power, he wraps it up in verse 33. In the same way, after saying all these things, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Those are strong words. Are we willing to say Jesus is mine? Because it could cost us a whole lot. Are we willing to go to the next level, to stand before him and have him say, will you follow me forsaking all other little G-gods so long as you live? Are we willing to to take the next level in that relationship. If so, great. But it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. We're going to take the last few moments we have here this morning to just reflect on what it may have cost you, what it, what, what it may cost you right now. For those, for those of you who are new, we'll have an, a few options here in the room. They're listed in your, uh, in your program if you want to learn more about what, it, what that uh, looks like. But maybe some of you have never come up to the cross and written on one of these red cards and nailed it to the cross and saying, this is a little G God that I want to put subservient to Jesus as the one who is mine. And maybe it'll cost you a little bit of comfort today because you've never done that. You've never come over and gotten uh, anointed over here to the right, anointed by an elder here in our church by the power of God. Or you haven't gone to the... uh, Folks on our prayer team at either of these doors who would love to pray with you about whatever's going on. It may cost you something to step out of your comfort zone. If you say Jesus is mine, what has that cost you? While the band gets set up, would you pray with me? God, once again, we're thankful for the price that you paid on the cross, that you are so committed to your relationship with us that Jesus gave his whole, his, his life for us. It cost him everything. But because of the story that you're telling and because of the power of you as our creator, he didn't stay in that place and he rose so that we can have a restored relationship with you so that we have the opportunity now to say, Jesus is mine. Would you help us to embrace exclusivity, not as a way of shutting down other beliefs, but as a way of committing to you. Would you inspire us towards that today? Would you remind us that it costs us something and and ask and embrace um, our journey here in the next few moments in terms of whether or not we're willing to pay that cost? Challenge us, God. Challenge us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.